This is Do We Like Movies. It's a podcast where two guys review individual movies, sequels, and occasional television shows. In this show, we talk about our experiences with them, and we answer the question, Do we like this movie? Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your other host, Javi. And this week, we are talking a new movie again for the first time. And gosh, this is probably the first time we watched a, a movie that's been in theaters like since Violent Night <laughs> at the end of last year. That's all true. Yeah. We're finally catching up with the with the times. Um, And we're this is another movie in a franchise that... We did part one of all the way back the first year of the show. And uh, despite the fact that you keep insisting that we did an episode on Scream 5, we did not. I could have sworn <laughs> we did. You're gaslighting me. <laughs> I feel gaslit right now. We can do an episode on Scream 5 one day, but we have not done. Whatever you say, freaking <laughs> <laughs> you big, who are you protecting, Angel? Big Kevin Williamson, is that who it is? (laughs) Well, speaking of Kevin Williamson, I think it's funny that we brought him up. I think because I'm watching this at the moment that I'm watching this, there's going to be some similarities to me between this movie and uh, the last Kevin Williamson project that we watched, which was uh, Sick. (laughs) No, I'd rather not. (laughs) Anyway, we can forget about that movie. Um, yeah, I think, you know what, Scream, much like in the original run of slasher movies from the 80s, Scream was taking a cue from Halloween and uh, basically brought back the slasher movie. In similar ways, I feel like Halloween in 2018 was trying to bring the slasher genre back and Scream, like, it took a long time for us to get to uh, Scream 5, which came out last March. Um... I think part of it is could have been, you know, the rights issues. Uh, uh, when the movies originally came out in the '90s, they were part of Miramax Dimension, and um, I think at this point in time, Scream exists under the Paramount Spyglass banner. And uh, yeah, I don't know if it's been like rights issues or something or a combination. It was also the death of uh, the original director Wes Craven, but mm-hmm. it's a franchise that that you know made a surprise comeback last year, and I feel like now, you know, there was real hype for this movie, and um, I think before we talk about what our experience is with this movie, it's probably good for us to just kind of do a recap of this entire franchise because we are talking about part six no, <laughs> in a franchise. There's a lot of bad movies in this franchise. No, there isn't. Yes, I'm there gonna is. argue that there is I'm gonna argue that really that the only movie in this franchise which is truly wretched is Scream Three. No, Scream Two is pretty bad. Absolutely I've, not. I think I rewatched two, it recently. And Scream I was Two was like, a fantastic sequel. You we are gonna fight. Shut your whore mouth. <sighs> you can, you are gonna sit there and tell me that the twist that it was what's his name's mom. Like the, no, no, we're not gonna sit here and pretend. Yes, that that was we good are writing. because Scream will do dumb things like that. I think 
it's very much in the vein of something like Black Christmas. I think Scream very much is capable of doing that. Um, nah, these movies are... <laughs> it's one, four, we can skip two and three, and then what I'm going to call uh, the radio silence era. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's go ahead and just kind of run through the through the franchise here. The original movie centers around Sydney Prescott and her group of friends, um, you know, who are who are basically like the stars of the time in the nineties, right? Yeah, they're the trio. You got Gail Weathers, the the toughest nails reporter, who who was played by played by Sydney Courtney Cox, yeah. Who continuously also shitting on her friends by making money off their suffering. Yes. Um, you and get... then you got de- good old Deputy Do-Right Dewey Cox. I know that's not his last name. I forget. <laughs> it's Dewey yeah. Riley to answer your, to answer the question I posed to you to answer myself. <laughs> Uh yeah, so Dewey Riley, Gail Weathers Riley, you know, who which is the character that Courtney Cox played. The original movie had uh, Rose McGowan who played uh, Tatum Riley, who is Dewey's sister, who only appears in the first movie because she is unfortunately killed. She's um, super dead. Yeah. <laughs> we get the character Randy Meeks, who is played by Jamie Kennedy, who only appears in the first two movies of the franchise, appears in the third movie via a videotape, <laughs> which is uh, delivered by his sister. Uh, who who then know, so. comes back in Scream 5. <laughs> yes. And, and I think the, the kind of neat part that this franchise has done is that, like, yeah, it's like we do have... We have like random characters who are <laughs> who 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 are like linked to each other, you know. And um, all right, I'll, I'll kind of come back to it. But I think two characters that are very much at odds in the original movie, which are Randy and uh, and Billy, <laughs> their offspring are actually the ones that are closest together uh, in the next you know generation that they're in. So, mm-hmm. um, all right. So anyway, in the original movie, there is a killer you know that is uh that is stalking and killing teens in the town of woodsboro which is supposed to be a northern california town uh and originally that movie is actually i think the original film or the original films are actually shot in northern california like around the santa rosa area yeah but Um, then santa rosa high school i think made it impossible and that's why there's that joke of Wes being like, no thanks to the Santa Rosa High School and the credits. <laughs> because apparently they made filming on campus and like impossible. Yeah. Um yeah, so we had those the, those characters in the original film. Uh, you know, they they the main person who is being stalked is Sidney Prescott, you know, played by Nev Campbell, who becomes the Laurie Strode of this franchise, uh, for all intents and purposes. Uh and the killer in the original movie is it, it, you, the shock of Scream, specifically the first movie, but almost all of them, as this movie kind of points out, is that instead of it being one killer that like follows the entire series, you know, that is the same killer, every film is a new killer. And in 99% of the movies in this franchise, it's two killers that exist. And that's a trend that starts with the original movie. So Billy Loomis, who was the boyfriend of Sydney, and uh, his best friend Stu Mocker. Um, they are both the killers in that original film and the very famous killing in the beginning of the movie 
um, which is the character, you know, the the kill of the character who's played by uh, Drew Barrymore is supposed to be like an ex-girlfriend of Stu's. Uh, basically like the kill oh, that sets everything that. off. Yep. Yeah. If you, I rewatched Scream very recently and uh, yeah, it is that's that's who she is. Mm. Um, and I think it's just like it, it's literally it, it happened a few years before it but Scream, that original Scream definitely felt like, you know, the Columbine era. Like it was just this like white male rage <laughs> that was sadly going to be something that was going to be like just trend of violence that existed. And I think this franchise, I one of the things that gives it longevity and kind of makes it interesting all these years later is that because they are human killers in every movie, it's almost like every movie has a different angle and every character has a different motivation that gets revealed throughout the movie. And most of them are surprisingly modern. Yeah, you know, well, uh, I, was to, I was about to say some of, some of those motivations are surprisingly stupid, but the yeah. motivation in scream three is hands down the worst. Uh, so let's okay anyway you know Stu and billy are killed in scream one mm-hmm. scream two follows you know all the surviving characters so now it's randy, screaming college yeah randy uh sydney uh dewey and gail you know it, obviously only uh <laughs> only randy and sydney are the ones who who are the original high school kids but um you know the original characters all return on this college campus. You know this university that that uh, Randy and 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 Sydney attend, and that is basically a copycat killer is what happens. And someone who, whereas in the original movie they were taking their cues from Halloween and the other like slasher movies of the 1980s, the second screen movie was kind of like a you know meta self, you know. You poked fun at like sequels and uh, points out how it can be even a movie that's you know that's less that's less original than 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 the first uh and i think that's I, scream 2 also much like the original one has a uh very famous kill that it starts out with which is the characters who are uh you know, who are played by uh, Jada Pinkett Smith and Omar Epps in the beginning of that movie. And uh, if I remember correctly, the reason why those characters are killed is because they have the same first names as like two of the victims from the Woodsboro murders. And the killer in that movie is basically out to make a sequel and also essentially a copycat of the original movie. Um, and one of the kids, you know, the creepy kid who they all kind of hang around, who's played by the fantastic Timothy Oliphant, um, he ends up being, you know, one of the ghost face killers. And the other ghost face killer is, you know, the <laughs> who I only know as like Aunt Jackie from Roseanne. <laughs> and what you find out is uh, to be revealed and only Sydney realizes it is that she's actually uh, Billy Loomis's mother. So it's basically like the psycho, like I'm here to get revenge for my dead son, Mrs. Voorhees kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And then we get the third movie, which, as I just said, I think is hands down the worst movie in this franchise. Oh, this movie's so fun because it's batshit crazy. It's so stupid. (laughs) So the third movie, I think, was their first. This movie tries it several times where they try to reboot the series and kind of move on from Sidney Prescott. And I think this is a good time to start talking about this because this movie officially finally does it. It's the one that we're about to talk to uh, talk about today. So by the time Scream 3 came along, Nev Campbell didn't really want to come back anymore. So if you ever watch that movie, you'll notice that her screen She's time... not in it for like yeah. three quarters of the film. Her screen time is very limited in that film. And uh, most of the movie revolves around these characters who are on the set of Stab 3, which is supposed to be like the fictional sequel to the book based on uh, you know Gail Weathers' work. And um, what I didn't mention is in Scream 1 and specifically starting in Scream 2, you know, you get this uh, stab series, which is supposed to be like the parallel series with Scream. And um, and it's all based on books that Gail wrote based on her experience with the Ghostface (laughs) Killer. Again, making money off her her, her friend's suffering, which is kind of like a recurring theme even going into the sixth installment which, of the series. Which, you know what? I, I What I do like about the, the Stab movies, those movies within a movie, is that they actually, like, much like movies that, you know, are based on true crime now, like, they sensationalize a lot of what happened. Meaning, like, when you get the character, like, there's a scene where Heather Graham plays a version of the Drew Barrymore character, <laughs> except she, instead of her being like, you know, just on the phone while she's in the living room, her character is like naked in the shower when she's getting phone calls before she gets killed. Um, yeah. You got to make things sexy, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know so what? I wish we, yeah, I wish we, I can't wait to do an entire episode about screen three. Cause the production of Scream 3 is batshit crazy. Yes. People were getting different scripts. No one knew who the killer was. People were getting notes to act like anyone was the killer. Well, the these screen. are the, the thing about these those movies is that those were the early days of the internet. So because Scream, like when I say Scream was a huge hit, it was a massive hit. You know, like it really was a massive hit. And I think you and I have <laughs> talked about it before we did our episode on the horror movies of 1989 like the end of the 80s had killed uh you know slasher movies and when scream came in in 96 it really changed everything uh and it made because every series came back and did a version of that halloween did halloween h2o which was their version of the scream movie Mm -hmm. bride of chucky was done that was their version of it we got Freddy versus Jason, which was like the self-referential screamish version of it. And that was like on the latter end of that, too. Yeah, because before that, you get New Nightmare, which might actually be one of the best fucking Freddy Krueger movies. Mm-hmm. Which was, I think, I think it was Wes Craven's kind of first crack at this like meta horror movie. Mm-hmm. And I think the formula was perfected in a way when he and Kevin Williamson got together to do Scream. Uh, the third scream again. It's very bad. It it mostly revolves around characters who are making this fictional stab three. Uh, it doesn't really have any focus. Um, I think one of the only things that you need to know about Scream Three and the other movies going forward is it's hinted in Scream Five that Sydney actually married uh, the cop character who was played by Patrick Dempsey in that movie, mm, uh, and that that Dr. is the father, McSteen. and that that is the father of her kids. Um. Or McDreamy or whatever. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't watch fucking Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> and even but, this movie, uh, even this movie, uh, 
basically um <laughs> even this movie basically uh calls the, out that scream the, that scream 3 what makes it unique is that it was the only movie that had a singular killer in it and that was the character who was the director of stab 3 yeah, who Roman was Polanski. <laughs> Not Roman Polanski. <laughs> but His name's like Roman something, which is yeah. very clearly a reference to Roman Polanski <laughs> being a shit person. But his his uh he was the um he he was the director and he's also revealed to be the brother or half brother of uh Sydney, a la Michael Myers. Half brother, God. Yeah, it's the worst. It's okay, the worst one. I can't wait to talk about that movie. There's that scene where like everyone freaks each other out, and starts socking each other in the tit. Like, <laughs> oh, I think in I think after three, the next two movies in the franchise, kind of because they there is so much time between them. I think what that series gets to do, you know, the next two films that they get to look at where is horror now compared to where it was in the nineties. And that starts in 2011. 2011 Scream 4 came out, which um, really it, it 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 poked fun at the remakes of the 2000s. And for mm-hmm. people who are horror fans now or, you know, who grew up in the 2010s, <clears throat> like you, thankfully, will not have to remember those terrible movies. <laughs> but mm-hmm. in the aughts, we were obsessed with rebooting I think because James Bond, Batman, like, you know, and other movies of that type, we were obsessed with rebooting everything with brand new actors and kind of starting over again, um, you know, starting new series, recasting all the characters and uh, retelling the original films. And it starts yeah, again with Halloween in 07, which is directed by Rob Zombie. And you know what? I do like that Rob Zombie Halloween movie. I do not like it as much as I liked it in in the aughts. I think it's one of those situations where when I was living in that decade, I thought they were the greatest thing ever. I wish I uh, had a sound drop button to (laughs) talk about how of that time you said this movie was... At one point you thought this movie was better than the original Carpenter (laughs) one. Um, and I've said that on this podcast, so so my oh, yeah. voice is on record that I've admitted my cringy takes on 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 those horror remakes. But then we I had wish that we were we famous had... enough to have. Do we like movies out of context? Twitter, <laughs> <laughs> just to take all our shitty lukewarm takes. Um, we had Friday the Thirteenth and 09, which was the remake. It basically took the first four nightmare movie. Uh, the first four. Uh, sorry the first four Friday at 13th movies and it combined all of them into what, what they called a remake, you know, in 2009, but that it was, really, it was a film. Was... Yeah. It was a movie that existed <laughs> and did things and uh, it was very bad. And you know what the thing was, is that it was directed or, or produced by the same people who produced. Here's one that I thought was successful. And I didn't mention this one before 2003's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. No. Which was the first remake of that decade, and I actually think is the best one out of all of them. Um, mostly because as as fantastic and amazing as Texas Chainsaw Massacre is, it's a very bare bones story. And oh, absolutely! Like... So remake had like a lot of room to to make you know different changes, and that movie had like the great sliminess of Arlie Ermy in it, mm-hmm. and uh, also had like the original you know. Uh, 
director of photography from the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And they changed enough to kind of kind of like Scream. I feel like that movie was the in-between. It was the in-between between, uh, you know, Scream, those self-referential 90 horror movies, and then like those aughts like remakes that we would all basically fall into. Um, no, yeah, Friday the 13th was... fails on every level um, as a remake by those same people. Oh, yeah. Um, no, well, I was going to say Scream 4 is very interesting because this is where it like kind of like starts uh pivoting more towards like with its growing audience it's like as your new generation of horror fans start kind of hitting that age of enjoying horror now it's like catering more towards millennials because this one includes uh what's her name um emma roberts's um character kind of taking over as like the new as like the new uh final girl or who mm-hmm. you'd expect to be the new final girl in this film and a lot of this movie starts um, introducing a lot of like new tropes or introducing um, kind of new things that are going on in the zeitgeist at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Like you got the kid, you got the character, the the kid that's always live streaming like 24-7 um, his entire life as he starts investigating the murders in, uh, or as, he, as the uh, murders in Woodsboro begin all over again. Um and if I remember correctly, that's Scream 4 is the one with like the triple fake out, right? <laughs> Where it's like the girls are watching a movie within a movie mm-hmm. within the movie. Yep. And you know what? I almost feel like Scream 4 was basically like Wes Craven coming out of retirement because he was pissed off that like the year before they remade Nightmare on uh Nightmare on Elm Street, and it might have been like Unfortunately, one of the worst. It, it was. It, it, have you ever seen that movie? By the way, the 2010 remake of Nightmare. No, I remember being excited because I liked Jackie Earl Healy at the time, mm-hmm. and being like, "Oh, he's so creepy and shit." As Rorschach, like, of course he's gonna be a great fucking uh, Freddy Krueger. And I never <laughs> actually watched it because I heard it was so god awful. <laughs> I watched that movie in theaters. Um, Do you think it was cinema? No. It was really bad, and I was very disappointed by it because, again, I was a fan of Jackie Earl Haley as well, um, and I didn't think he was bad in it. It's just when you see it in the context of the film, you're like, yeah, this isn't Freddy. Um, That's what everyone was saying is that it's not that he did bad. It's just it's not Freddy. It's not the Freddy we're used to, and it's definitely not the story that anyone expected. Yeah, and what that movie made me feel like, and people forget that, like, Rooney Mara and Katie Cassidy were in that movie. Like, a lot of the kind of, you know, Rooney Mara would go on to do the Girl of the Dragon Tattoo, like, uh, series that that David Fincher would do after. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Katie Cassidy, like, and other people would end up on those CW shows in the 2010s. Yeah, so very much down. (laughs) So Scream was very much like that, too, because you got, like, you know, those characters as well. Hayden Panettiere is in uh, Scream 4, who she was coming off of, like, Heroes at the time, which that mm-hmm. first season of Heroes I loved. And, like, I was super into I was in college, like, you know, when that when that second season dropped and I was highly disappointed. <laughs> it's Heroes kind of joins Twin Peaks in that, like, club of series with really great first season and then like completely just falls off the face of the earth in the mm-hmm. second um and yeah we get introduced to a whole new cast of characters uh going into the in the scream four 
um, with a, a fake out murder that involved crap. I hate that I don't remember the actress's name, and I can only refer to her as Julie from Friday Night. Oh, Amy Teagarden. Amy Teagarden. Um, I think the other character is I forget what her name is, but she was on Degrassi. And then mm. there was like another se- a section of it where it's like Kristen Bell was in it. And like she Anna was on Paquin's Veronica Mars. <laughs> Anna Paquin was in it again. And like who was in Vampire Diaries. Like all these people were doing things like, oh, sorry, True Blood. Uh, True, Blood. True Blood Vampire yeah. Diaries is a different one. Um, but yeah, it's just again, this is the time that, that <laughs> like it's just Scream has this ability to capture like all these. Uh, it, they, they have the ability to capture like to cast really well like people who are just about to break out or people who are kind of like out there at the time that it comes out because they Um, get rory colkin allison brie who's doing community at the time mm -hmm. like marley shelton i mean marley shelton's already been doing shit by this point but (laughs) but in that movie of course uh emma roberts uh and uh rory colkin's characters are the ones who are you know who 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 are revealed to be the killers and Hayden Panettiere is basically left to die. She, for all intents and purposes, died in that movie. Um, she should have, yeah, yeah. I mean, you take so, this, like a so these movies retcon all of it. Yeah, these movies basically retcon all of it and make a lot of these characters superhuman. So here's but... the thing to remember with Scream: is as the movies pro- progress, no one is dead unless they die on screen, and for some reason, people get superpowers. <laughs> yes and the and that's kind of like that's just kind of the nature of the movie that you just kind of start accepting that whoever puts on the ghost face mask is gonna have ghost face like superpowers like they can teleport and they have super strength mm-hmm. but that's also kind of part of the fun right it's the part of the fun of the series and kind of the part of the fun of the slasher as well um and damn does no one ever put up a fight the way they do in uh in any of the screen movies Yes, specifically Sydney. Sydney, like you know, it is does brutal shit. She stabs the original killers with like an umbrella. She like shoots some of these killers. She shoots them in the head. She, uh, you know, <laughs> uses the defibrillator on Emma Roberts's head in Scream mm-hmm. Four. Basically, they just let her have her fun. Um, it's like Stone Cold in the Attitude Era. They just give her a bunch of weapons and like go ahead and murder people. <laughs> Um, and then, of course, last week, last year's uh, Scream 2022, which did the I Halloween agree. thing of we're getting rid of numbers and we're we're going to call it the same as the original movie. So annoying um, that they missed out on the opportunity of five cream. Yeah. Um, so so they bring Sydney back for that movie, even though the movie basically like it, it finally kind of places uh, Sydney firmly on like the sideline as more of a side character and less of the focus. But unlike Scream 3, I think what Scream 2022 does is it's it made a lot of the quote-unquote newer characters interesting enough that you didn't need to be so uber-focused on the other characters. Not to mention, I think, because that movie is the send-off for our wonderful Dewey, mm-hmm. um, you know... The fact that he was featured more prominently in the in the first half of that movie, you don't think about uh, Sydney as much. And mm-hmm. I think 
these movies specifically, this movie, that movie specifically was the beginning of her being phased out. I think by the end of it, Sydney and Gail didn't really feel like they were that a part of it, mm-hmm. uh, specifically Sydney. And so, you know, that series stars, you know, Melissa Barrera and Jenna Ortega, you know, as mm-hmm. the are basically our two main characters, uh, T- Sa- Tara and Sam Carpenter. Um, and you know they they Jenna Ortega is the opening kill quote unquote in Scream Five, and where she like Except you know she isn't die. killed yeah <laughs> she is attacked in the beginning of the movie much like uh, Drew Barrymore is and of course they you know they make a lot of digs about elevated horror and yeah that's the thing too by the time Scream Five came around it's like we had an entire decade of supernatural horror movies. And, you know, the slasher felt like it was as dead as disco, right? And then Halloween comes back and you're like, okay, well, Halloween's coming back, but we're watching it because Jamie Lee Curtis is back. We're watching it because we want to see what, you know, ex-director is going to do with it. And I didn't really know anything about Radio Silence when, you know, this when Scream 5 was made. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, you know, hey, whatever. I've seen the other Scream movies. I'm interested. Pure curiosity. I was not really excited about it, and I didn't think it was going to be that good. But, I, again, I did see Melissa Barrera in 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 a couple different series, and I thought she was mm-hmm. really good in them. Um, I, uh, I knew Radio Silence from VHS. Okay. From probably yeah. the best entry in that first VHS, aside, well, I mean, aside from the weird Bat Lady in the, in the first one. Yeah. But definitely that that creepy last one where they're in the haunted house at the party, like oh. the, that was Radio Silence. Oh, okay. So excellent. Th- yeah. So I remember uh, hearing about that, and I was like, "Oh, these guys are good. Yeah, and they're really good with practical effects." Yeah. <laughs> so I was really <laughs> excited hearing that they were going to take over, and also like these, like the three of them are all like super horror nerds. So I'm like, okay, this series is in really good hands. Mm-hmm want to do an episode on scream 5 we can get more into this but you know in in that movie what we do find out is that sam carpenter is the illegitimate daughter of billy loomis a la adonis creed and creed <laughs> again these movies are they take what's already out there and turn it into you know and pull it into the uh, slasher genre um and the killers in that movie you know were the characters who were played by um Jack Quaid and Amber Freeman. The character's yeah. name was Amber Freeman, but she was Mikey Madison. Yeah. We yeah. So Amber and you know uh and Richie, you know, who Richie is gonna his name's gonna be brought up a lot. They're essentially the you know the killers from the last movie. And um yeah so so this movie is a direct sequel now to that. And yeah. This series, this new trilogy kind of hints at the fact that at some point it's very possible that Sam could go from protagonist to villain, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like the, with the return of Skeet Ulrich in this and how they keep bringing him back, like in his screams, it's 1996 garb, mm-hmm. <laughs> he basically just appears to her, you know, uh, as like the devil on her shoulder telling her to do bad things. You know, kill, kill, do things, kill. <laughs> um, I uh I don't know. I mean we'll talk about it as we talk about Scream Six, yeah. kind of like how I feel like Skeetle Orge's character is influencing 
all right, uh, but, Sam kind of moving forward. So uh, now but, that we got into all of that, well, I, I think... mean, also don't forget Chad and Mindy being uh, being also the callback to our other mm-hmm. um, to our other like legacy character. Yep. Chad and Mindy, who are the niece and nephew, they're twins, the niece mm-hmm. and nephew of Randy Meeks. And, uh, you know, they happen to be friends with Sam and Tara. And, you know, where in that last movie, they very much felt like, look, in that last movie, I'll say this about Scream 5. Mm-hmm. I thought Scream 5 was good. I think Scream 6 is the one that gets the formula on these new characters right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I, I guess I really just kind of want to, like, you know, move into this because in that last movie, they felt like Rory Culkin and like the other like Don't side team me characters, you take twenty minutes to give an entire like <laughs> no, dissertation no. on screen. You fuck. I, no, it's just a catch up, right? Like that. That was my whole thing. Is when we're jumping from one to six, I, I figured we just had to catch people up on where we are. Nah, fuck them. They can figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> they can ask for these episodes. All right. With that, Angel, what was your experience with uh, uh, Scream Six? So I saw Scream 6 in theaters the you know the weekend of premiere and I was excited to see it. I kept up with the production of it because I they 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 greenlit this one really soon after the mm-hmm. last movie came out. And uh I again I knew the characters were going to be coming back. I think the one thing about this movie that was very public and very early on in production is that Nev Campbell was not coming back. And that's because she wanted to get paid, you know, like a star. And and the studio. Yeah. Which, you know, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and but you know, the studio did not want to do that. And they basically decided that this is the time to write her off. And um I'm gonna say this, despite the fact that I am team Nev Campbell, and I think that, you know, she had every right to decide not to be in this movie, you know, because she wanted to get paid. I think that this movie is all the better for it that she mm-hmm. that Nev Campbell did not return to Sydney because also, I think that this is this this her absence in this like they 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 give her character respect mm-hmm. and they basically say hey this is her turn to just kind of like have her have her normal life she deserves it and then at the same time, it just lets things be passed over. It, it does this in a very satisfying way, right? Like, she doesn't have to die, mm-hmm. you know, in the beginning. Like, they didn't have to do a surprise killing of her where you spend all this, all these movies loving her. And then you'd be like, oh, God, they're going to kill her in the first five minutes. They don't have to do that. M- much like what David Gordon Green does with Halloween, for better or for worse, it's allowing, you know, the final girl to right off into the sunset and basically you know live out her life <laughs> in happiness when yeah. and that like, would just be miserable with these new characters like what was it they say a couple times like she deserves her happy ending and mm-hmm. i'm just like yeah you know also it makes no sense for her to be dragged into this because yeah. by this point in the series like the focus is no longer on um the original three right especially now that dewey's gone it's like the focus should be on what lives later to be called the core four yes (laughs) and i think they they do a really good job of shifting the focus onto the new characters without doing something disrespectful to sydney's character where she maybe she can come back you know in a way that 
is satisfying. I mean, I hope not at this point. Like the way they wrote her off is perfect. Um, but you know, we'll see. We'll see in in the future. What was your experience with Scream Six? Well, I felt terrible that you went to go watch it without me because I invited you to go watch shut it. With up. Me. I'm not blaming you. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying is I wanted to go, but unfortunately plans got in the way. So mm. I went to watch it one day after work. Um I was like, you know, I the, you know, I'm sure that we're gonna watch this movie. Uh we're gonna review this movie. We have talks about it. We're both huge Scream fans. Um, so I watched it at some point last week at our local Rialto theater. Uh, Rialto, awesome, awesome experience as always. It was me and like five other people, so I didn't have to worry about people talking to them <laughs> during the movie. <laughs> so it was cool. Um, yeah, so just got a real, like a real complete creepy and eerie experience being damn near alone in a movie theater watching Scream 6. Yeah. So. Alright. With that, we'll jump into it. Sure. Alright, so the big gimmick around this movie, and one of the reasons why I was looking forward to it, was because this movie was going to take us out of Woodsboro uh, for the first time since Scream 3, <laughs> where Scream 3 takes us into the world of Hollywood. Uh, I think this movie does a lot less this movie does a lot more serious right like it's going to take these characters and put them in a new place now we're in new york city the interesting part in this jason did it you know well you know what funny just like jason did it i think they shot that movie in toronto or vancouver that's where this movie is shot this movie is not shot in new york nope (laughs) Um, I think this one's shot in like Montreal, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, there's like establishing shots that 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 you know that are supposed to be New York, but uh, for those people who don't know, uh, New York doesn't really have alleys like like what appears in this movie. And I've never been to New York, but one of the things that that's a common misconception is when you see these like big wide alleys, like in movies, it's just New York just doesn't have the space for all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's it's a, it's a clear indicator of the fact that this may not exactly have been filmed in New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what it reminded me of? You know, Teen Titans, like live action series where mm-hmm. they tell you it's like shot in San Francisco, but it's like very clearly shot in like Mon, like in, uh, Vancouver, Canada, because yeah. like you know when you know the city, it's like you know that none of this looks like the actual city it's in. So. It's uh, like but anyway, if there's above ground trains, it's usually somewhere. It's usually Chicago mm-hmm. or like Boston, because I don't think New York has like above ground trains. Yeah, um, I think there's certain areas where 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 it does, but but yeah, I think specifically that train scene in, in Spider Man, I think it is famously Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, so so the, hey, but but I give this movie all the credit for taking this out of the city. Uh, Jason does. Jason takes Manhattan. Does that does this in uh, a movie that we did actually talk about on the show when we did Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight in, in our uh, horror sequels of nineteen eighty nine, which was a terrible movie. It doesn't really take place in New York, and most of it takes place on a boat. Um, but I will say the one thing that that movie does that is unfortunate that this movie doesn't do. There is the one scene of Jason in Times Square. Mm-hmm. And I really wish we could have had a Ghostface in Times Square scene in this, you know, or or Ghostface in a very recognizable, you know, area mm-hmm. of the city. But 
you know, we did not. Anyway, regardless, I think there's two really good set pieces in this that help set the scene uh, for it. So um, this movie starts off, uh, we, we get the ghost face phone call, except this time, it much like Scream 3, it's someone basically using a voice modulator, mm-hmm. uh, something that changes their voice, but it isn't the ghost face killer voice. No, because they can copy any voice ever that existed. <laughs> Which you know what? I now that we have like AI apps that that can that can mimic speech, like I feel like that's more digestible now. But this is a gimmick that they tried way back in '99 on Scream Three, where yeah. there was a literal sci-fi movie voice changer device <laughs> that the killer in that movie used. Um, it's so stupid because that's the one where we're like any of us can be <laughs> because he has all, all our voices now. Yeah, and I'm glad it's a it's a funny callback without being super like in your face about it, which is really good. The movie uh, kicks off with a character called Laura, uh, who you know, who's I guess she's like going out on a date, uh, basically being uh, meeting a date. Uh, who she has never met in person before, mm-hmm. uh, waiting for them at a bar. And I think this scene does a fantastic job of setting us up with making a, a which I think this whole movie does a great job of it, making a big city filled with people that are walking next to you all day and night, mm-hmm. making you feel isolated in a big city, which is in like, it, it's just a thing that horror movies don't do very often slasher mm-hmm. movies don't do very often that i think is so good um and it i in some ways i feel like the early movie the early horror movies like rosemary's baby and exorcist do that right it's like you're in these famous cities you're not in a suburb or out in the middle of nowhere you're in these like cities but it's just like, there's something about those smoky streets that you're walking by and despite the fact that other that there are other people around you're focused on the characters that you're following and they feel alone despite the fact that there's people all around them mm-hmm. um she's lured into an alley by her blind date and once she gets into the alley you know as we all expected ghost faces there stabs her to death except the part where this you know that messes with the formula is instantly Ghostface takes his mask off. Mm-hmm. And you find it's out that Flash it's Flash fucking Thompson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the guy who does this is is you know most famously known for as, as being Flash Thompson in the Spider the MCU Spider-Man series. So So I don't want to like uh go over I don't know I I think it's kind of important to talk a little bit about that this first kill. Because this is actually play the actress is Samara Weaving, who a lot of people might know as a fairly recent like screen queen and a lot of like indie horror. Mm-hmm. She was in like Ready or Not. She was in Mayhem. Actually, Ready or Not, she worked with Radio Silence before, so that's why they got the call. Essentially, they called up her agent and was like, "Hey, you know, is Samara free to work on this?" you know on this screen project and she's like i don't care what it is i'll do it so Mm. so one of the things like i thought even though she's in this movie for such a short amount of time like she has to find a way to like really be likable and Mm -hmm. like really come off like she's a part of this world and one you know i love that 
I love the little things like they let her use her her actual accent, her her Australian accent. Um and also like even when she's talking to Ghostface, right? Like she reveals that she is a uh uh what's it called a slasher film like professor at Blackmore University talking about like sex and violence in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um and using like the through the lens of the slasher film. Um so it's like this character that is it totally fits why this character should be and you know the first victim of the new like screen movie. Yeah. <laughs> but like you were saying, it's revealed that our first uh our first uh well, I say first ghost face because I mean that's just how these movies go, <laughs> is a student by the name of Jason Carvey. After killing her, uh, he ends up putting the Ghostface costume away, uh, puts it in his uh, backpack, and just, I love this scene. Just like the fact there's no cutaway, just follows him out of the out of the alleyway where he's just kind of walking through the streets of New York with a bunch of other people, and he actually ends up running into Jenna Ortega uh, or uh, Tara mm-hmm. uh, Tara Carpenter at some oh, point. Oh, which. Before you get too far into this, you know what? What's one thing I appreciate about this new Scream franchise? What it's there's a lot of brown faces in this Scream franchise now. Oh, absolutely! Because Melissa Barrera and Jenna Ortega are both you know Latina actresses, mm-hmm. and uh, Anthony Revolori, who you know is Jason in this, uh, and was in Spider Man uh, Far From Home, despite the fact that he appeared in stuff like Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, the actor himself, Tony Revolori, his parents are both Guatemalan. What? So, so he's Central American, and uh, be, as someone who is Central, who is of Central American descent, and also often gets confused for someone who is Middle Eastern, or <laughs> I, I identify with this actor in that way. He's one of us. Nice. Yeah. That explains why he's so short. <laughs> uh, That's awesome. Yeah, but anyway, sorry. Continue. No, oh, yeah, and like like I was saying, it's like as uh Jason's kind of making his way through the city, he you know he runs into Tara Carpenter, uh, dressed up as a pirate, a little um, a little nod to Radio Silence's film in VHS. Like, there's a couple of people dressed up as like the costumes of the party goers. Um, again, going back to the self referential nature of uh Scream, like people just can't help themselves. And eventually Jason makes it back to his apartment where, uh, you know, he he puts his uh, Ghostface costume away and he ends up getting a call from a a phone number from his uh, roommate, Greg, who, you know, he mentions something like, hey, man, we agreed never to use the voice with each other. And he proceeds to tell um, Greg what it felt like. Uh, to murder, uh, to murder uh, his professor in that alley. I, these guys, I felt attacked when we walk into their apartment and I see this just looks like my, like where I would live. (laughs) (laughs) There's a last podcast on the left, like memorabilia all over the place. There's just Mm -hmm. horror movie posters. Like these guys could be my friends. And I hated it. I hated every, I felt called out super fucking The last movie had like, you know, people watching the, 
you know, dead meat videos on, on YouTube. <laughs> it's just, mm -hmm. yeah, these are very, these, the contemporary teenage characters in this are basically people that we know now. <laughs> yeah. It's either people we know or us. Like, I like to think I'm not a shitty horror fan, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I, I thought it was really cool. Um, but yeah, as the conversation between Jason and Greg continues, he starts realizing that like Greg continues to get angrier and angrier at him, uh, talking about how he was acting like a child going after his teacher for a bad grade. And he this and this starts him playing a game of hot gold, where as Jason approaches the 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 fridge and he starts heating up. He ends up opening it, revealing the dismembered corpse of his roommate Greg, which then leads to him being attacked and killed by a ghost face, by another ghost face um, mm -hmm. in the co or in the costume in the garden stuff. Yeah. So this one does the kind of scream forward thing, but in a way that's a little less convoluted. It draws you in by revealing the killer of the first kill. And then immediately subvert, resubverts expectations, or or it goes back to you know what it normally does, and that is, uh, you know, the main thing is that it it makes a killer the object of the killer's ire in the beginning. Um, and also I, we kind of learn a little bit of these guys what was supposed to be their their motivation that they wanted to kill Tara and Sam again for. I think oh, I really don't remember if it was to like make a movie or if it was some internet stuff. Yeah, basically their thing, which will return, is that they want to finish Richie's movie. That's so what it was. They want Richie to finish Richie's is movie. now what this movie is now telling you. Unfortunately, sorry Amber, you didn't really matter. But what this movie is telling mm. you is that Richie was the guy who who we cared about all along. And I guess one of the things is that I, I think these characters knew Richie. And it seems like they knew him personally and were probably, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. It felt a little scream three <laughs> because it deposit some stuff because it, despite the fact that there was only one killer in scream three, what the reveal in scream three says is that the director was basically the one who, who made Stu and Billy, the character, like the killers in the original Scream movie. Ooh, your mom, your mom got railed by a bunch of Hollywood producers. <laughs> and now... All right, let's go. Let's let's leave that in the past again. <laughs> um, so it's, so we're reintroduced to the characters of Sam and uh, and Tara and also uh, Chad and and uh, Chad. Chad. I, I think I, yeah, I love the twins and and I've referred to them as the twins, but. Uh, but you know, I feel like they're they're. I feel like now, like Mindy and Chad are not just like you know, two side characters anymore. Like this film now tells you that they are like you know among. And you know what it is when they start doing the core four thing, where all of them are like sitting together and talking about how we're the core four. Mm -hmm. Do you get a feeling of like? I hate to say this, but like I feel like the Fast and Furious movies have kind oh. of like. <laughs> have Absolutely. made it yes fast and furious <laughs> movies like hey come on you know that these are kids that grew up watching fast and furious movies and i was so i just wanted them to like you know to to make a family kind of <laughs> joke in this at some point because 
I do feel like that's probably what some of the, you know, uh, inspiration for this is. Yeah, like that's the type of shit they would have grown up on, and that's like the type of shit that they that they would have seen, and 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 you know they've already kind of trauma bonded, so it makes perfect sense that these four like have this attachment where they care about each other. What this movie does that I really like is it takes kills, you know, from a slasher movie, and it starts turning them from kills in a slasher movie to basically action set pieces. Like, I think what this series has done and what specifically Scream 6 is doing is it's it's not not to say that it's elevating the material, but it's it's escalating the like it's just it's bringing everything up to a level where like these kills are just like they feel like an action like a like an action scene in a movie. So I I think it is part of the reason. I think it's part of the reason why I did think like Fast and Furious a little more. Like I feel mm-hmm. like they're they're opening the scope, and this is a movie that that is like the where they're 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 learning what the formula is now. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a uh, new side characters as well. Uh, we have the character of Annika, who is supposed to be Mindy's girlfriend. Um, we have the character of uh, Ethan, who's Chad's roommate. Yeah, uh, we, we have Quinn, the... Quinn, who is the uh, you know ru- the slutty roommate who <laughs> I feel like is is the only character that feels like she's from a different movie of a bygone era. Like I mm-hmm. feel like it's just, and I think thankfully Halloween didn't do a ton of this. Like the new franchise, I just feel like we're we're so much more sex positive now that but having like slasher positive about it. There, it's still yeah. You know, it's still like, uh, but like, I guess, I guess the idea of having like slasher films be some kind of like, you know, morality play where like virgins only live and like promiscuous women die Mm -hmm. is, is, is an outdated thing that we thankfully don't have to go back to anymore. I mean, it does deposit a really weird thing I'm going to ask about later, like towards the end of the movie, but we'll talk about that when we get there. Um, but yeah, as uh Sam is I believe that was the night that Sam is going to um like her therapist, right? Yeah, I mean this movie takes place in the span of maybe two nights. Um but well, we find out that we find out that uh you know Scream Five takes place over three nights. Like right. it's crazy to think about how these these killings are over the course of maybe like a long weekend. Like they're never these long, prolonged things that we expect. I mean, they're all kind of like that. I, I know that the original scream is like, I think it only takes place over two days. Mm-hmm. And like, that's why Sydney's dad is like gone the entire time and no one really questions it. So it mm-hmm. is relatively quick. I think what this one feels a little bit more like this is around Halloween. We're going to get the subway like scene later on in the movie. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in the beginning of the film, you know, we also had like Tara and a group of like kids walking by uh, where they were like dressing costumes. So, you know, that it's about to be Halloween pretty soon. Um, When we're reintroduced to these characters, it looks like. So, so as you said, Sam is in uh, therapy. She's basically, I guess, trying to be as honest with her therapist as possible. But in what she reveals to him, because he's a mandated reporter, uh, he, you know, he like, you know, is going to tip off the police to, to what she's saying, because, you know, she talks about basically how 
the the kills that she had done. Like there is something about it that she likes and that okay. makes her feel good. <laughs> okay. I hate that horror movies now make therapists the bad guy. As someone who is like working to become a therapist. Buddy, let me tell you something. Let me therapists tell you something. have always been the bad guys in horror movies. Like What do you mean? We we had Dr. Loomis. Dr. Loomis practices no medicine in any Halloween movie. Dr. Loomis is Dr. Loomis is basically like a bounty hunter. He follows Myers around with a gun. Remember in the early days of the podcast when we talked about the Dr. Loomis School of Medicine, which is literally just threatening your patients and brandishing weapons to threaten to kill them? That I is... shot him six times! Yes, he is the shining example of, you know, good therapists in these movies. But no, even going back to something like Child's Play 2 or Poltergeist 3, like, mm. therapists are always the fucking villains in these we movies. Are, Sorry, buddy. We are always going to be the dumb assholes that either don't believe you or mm-hmm. are going to send you to the nut house. And now all I can think about is how I want a movie of uh Father Karis and <laughs> Dr. Loomis just going <laughs> <laughs> stopping demonic serial killers. Listen, oh, you know what else? I mean, we are going to see Ellen Burstyn come back in the Exorcist sequel. Uh, so I can't wait for that. The reboot sequel from David Gordon Green. So maybe you will get your time. wish. Maybe oh. maybe Ellen Burstyn is like now going to be the gun wielding trench coat woman <laughs> chasing a demon around. I'm gonna shoot him six times. It's just hilarious how he's like she so all she says is yes, I I when I, when I killed that guy, I felt good about it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to explore there. Yes. You can follow up and ask. Well, what about it felt good? You know, have you had these thoughts before? Are these things that uh, come up normally for you? This piece of shit is like, bitch, get out of my office. Yeah, no, he he really doesn't want much to do with her. And uh, instantly will will report her. But I guess what I do like about this is that this is the point of this, because you jump from the Sam scene to this college party in which Mindy, Chad, and Tara are all there. Mm-hmm. And I guess, like, Tara's thing is, like, she's just wasted and she's yeah, being he's... accosted by this creepy college pervert who wants to, you know, it's dark, right? Like, it is. Mm-hmm. He's going to attempt to take advantage of her, sexually assault her. And, you know, it. this is where... Thankfully, Tara has her friends that like all kind of like get hip to what's going on. And Mm -hmm. Chad specifically is the character that that is like alerted to. And I assumed it was because he's obviously the toughest guy out of the group that they're all in. Mm -hmm. And also because, you know, he's been friends with Tara for pretty much her whole life. So uh, Chad goes in to try to rescue her from said pervert. And, uh, you know, it ends up being... Because Sam is so overly protective over Tara and can't get a hold of her. Basically, Sam shows up at this party. And, you know, when Chad starts to take Tara away from this guy and, and you know, to protect her. And then Sam it's ultimately Sam it. who shows up 
and basically like you know tases the nuts. <laughs> she doesn't basically do that. She says, "Hey, I'm gonna tase you with the balls now," and then it's she like, does what? it. And I respect that honesty. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it's really cool. Like it shows you how much they actually do care about each other. And also, the big thing here is we find out Tara is not processing at all what happened the year before, mm-hmm. and she actually resents Sam for what Sam has been doing. You know, as they leave the party, uh, drunk Tara is just kind of yelling at Sam on the way back to the apartment, talking about how just because. It doesn't bother her. It was three days a year ago that they can't get over. It doesn't mean she can't be over it. Um, and that she's being suffocated by Sam and that Sam's gotta learn to let go. And like she really just starts tearing into her. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, around this point is where another girl from a random group of friends throws her drink at Sam, blaming her for uh, well, we later find out blaming her for like the murder of Richie and also Richie's victims, Richie and Amber's victims at Woodsboro. Um, as yeah. but we, um, what we discover is that essentially public opinion and viral video has has and conspiracy theories have turned a lot of the general public against Sam. So mm-hmm. rather than have her overtly be the villain in the original movie, she was essentially the hero and is the protagonist, but is because her father is, I don't know how people discovered it, but because mm-hmm. everyone knows that her father is Billy Loomis, you know, she is like branded like a killer as well. And I mean, she did stab Richie like 22 times. Oh, yeah. No, she is. And I don't know if this is supposed to be like a commentary on like, you know, how we I I don't like these things because I feel like when we get too far into like, oh, this is why it's dangerous to dox people online or conspiracy theories. It's like, yes, I get it. But it's like, I feel like there's too many movies that make poor commentary on this that I'm a little concerned when I see movies like trying to go for this. <laughs> no, I was okay with how they did it. They don't over explain it. They keep it simple. Yeah. Um, they, they, I feel like scream four did a worse job at this where they were oh, like, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think they, <clears throat> that was the movie that, 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 that was like, all right, relax you guys. Trust me as someone whose career was made much harder for six months, thanks to conspiracy theories, because people didn't want to believe COVID was a thing. <laughs> like, and for any time you think people can't possibly be this stupid, uh, no, yes, they can. I can yeah. attest to that. Um, yeah, so Sam is getting phone calls. You know, once they leave this party, um, Sam is, starts receiving phone calls from the Ghostface killer uh, from Richie's phone, which apparently mm-hmm. she never removed off of her phone, his number. And it, it flips pretty quickly. It's like, first you have the scenes of Tara and Sam fighting with each other. And again, it's like this trauma bonding where they're all like basically dealing with things in a different way. But what this movie does that I appreciate is it doesn't spend too much time doing this. Like it doesn't separate the characters like for the entire movie having them like have to find each other after that. Like, I mean, once Ghostface starts calling Sam and you realize that these characters are in danger and Ghostface, you know, goes in and kills the therapist, like Mm -hmm. this movie starts moving pretty quickly. 
And I appreciate that that our core four characters don't spend too much time bitching at each other over, you know, why do you want to overprotect me and all that stuff? They mm-hmm. they do it, they talk about it, but they do it while the movie is happening. And it doesn't do what I, you know, you worry sometimes about stopping the film. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it is just going. And, and I appreciate that part of it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, it does give it time to have that argument, but then once things go, everyone enters survival mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so from here, uh, Sam also ends up getting a call from uh, Detective Wayne Bailey, who's actually uh, Quinn's dad, mm-hmm. who followed her after she moved to the big city. Um, and they find out that her ID was at uh, the Jason and Greg uh what's it called a uh, crime scene so they ask her to come in and i think here's where we get introduced to uh kirby right yeah we get introduced with kirby and then we also get introduced to the killer's mo in this movie which is mm-hmm. the leaving of ghost face masks at like all the crime scenes so the mask that's left at this scene is the mask worn by um richie and amber in the last film mm-hmm and um oh no i'm sorry i accidentally got things a little bit out of order so before they go meet the uh the before they go meet wayne uh at the police station this is actually where the girls end up getting attacked in the bodega Mm -hmm. and you have the awesome bodega kill scenes yes where it was unfortunately you knew it was happening because you saw it in the trailer Mm -hmm. but at the same time it's what seeing I did, it like, in the seeing it in the trailer is what made me want to watch the movie so badly because it's such a like departure from what we see Ghostface do in all yes. these other movies, and it's like it somehow doesn't give a. I still don't think this is the best scene in the movie. Like as good as this scene is, and it's like the 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 drama in it, the the tension you feel. Uh, but essentially, what happens is as Ghostface calls Sam, she threatens her. And Ghostface is jumping from like this the shadows and like kind of a mini jump scare. Mm-hmm. And he ends up grabbing Tara, who manages to elbow him in the face before she before he can grab her. And the girls take off running and enter a bodega where they ask for help. Um and as uh Ghostface follows him in, in front of several witnesses, Ghostface starts just cutting people up. He ends up killing like two people before the bodega owner uh grabs a shotgun um and starts shooting at him. Uh Ghostface ends up getting the drop on the bodega owner, kills him, takes a shotgun, and starts this cat and mouse chase between uh the carpenter sisters and Ghostface as he follows down the aisles with a shotgun. Uh, eventually they're able to sneak away just as NYPD shows up and as they run outside they see that Ghostface has escaped through the backyard or through the back of the bodega. I actually do think this is the best scene in the movie. You think so? Um, I I do. I think it's the signature. Well, this I do think that the two scenes that were tagged in the trailer are the best scenes in the movie and it's the reason why they're included here. Mm-hmm. I would give this one the edge because again, the jump scare that I wasn't expecting and also because this this it, it symbolizes where the movie is now. You know, again, danger in the big city, and Ghostface is actually holding the bodega owner's shotgun and is chasing them around with a gun. 
which mm. <clears throat> you know hey you want to talk about movies that make things feel like you, they give you the gritty realism feeling of the world that we live in now like being chased around by a masked person with a gun is very possible and very likely to happen in the real world unfortunately so there's something really like grim and realistic about it mm-hmm. well I'll tell you which one I think is the best scene sure. when we get to it uh, but yeah, once they get, once the girls get to the station, that's where we introduce we're introduced to Kirby, uh, finding out that she's actually a special agent with uh the FBI, um, as well as she reveals herself to be a survivor from the 2011 killings, with a very special interest in anything Ghostface, um, and again, like like you said, this is where the, we're introduced to the MO that another legacy Ghostface mask is left behind at one of the crime scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the girls also encounter Gail Withers all over again, um, which results in Tara getting a punch right in Gail's face. Yeah, Gail will After never Gail, not get uh, punched by anyone. I, I'm not crazy about the idea of Gail, like, once again, like, you know. Not learning her lesson and continuing yeah, to make money off people. Like, I, I don't know if it's necessary, <clears throat> and I don't like to, to do this, but, hey, maybe people... Maybe it's just like this is the radio silence's way of saying Gail will always be Gail, and um, at least later sure. in the movie, this <laughs> this doesn't keep them from beginning to work together again. Anyway, and I wonder how much of that is Courtney Cox too, because I know she's she got like an executive producer credit, mm-hmm. so I'm sure she probably had like some notes for her character. So I wonder how much is her also. Being like, no, my character would do this. Yeah. Because it doesn't feel like it's something out of line for. I mean, she's done it in the past already. Uh, But yeah, after she meets with the sisters, she lets the Carpenter sisters know that Sydney and her family have gone into hiding. Um, And this is where they say the line that she deserves her happy ending, to which uh, Sam responds, at least that's something we agreed on. Mm-hmm. Um. After this, uh, Ghostface, like you said, kills a, um, he ends up killing uh Sam's therapist, and steals her files, uh, leaving the mask uh from Scream Three behind, um, and then begins one of the most intense scenes in the movie. This is when I see what you're saying when you're talking about elevating the 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 killing to like an action movie level mm-hmm. where not only do we get a screen chasing we also get kind of like more more action like these are like louder like the kills now are a lot a lot louder a lot more intense a lot more uh, bombastic. Um, so here at this point, um, the core four are you know meeting up at their apartment along with the uh, rest of their friends. Uh, Sam is feeling some type of way, um, being kind of like coming to terms with how she's so hated by you know this internet community that's never met her, all because of who her father was. And just everything that she's gone through because of that. 
Um, and this kind of rallies the group around uh, Sam uh, in this time of need. Uh, and during the, and you know, while the core four are like making dinner and kind of hanging out, uh, we find out that Sam has actually been hooking up with like who they refer to as a cute guy around the corner or something like that. Yeah, cute, cute guy, sexy guy. neighbor, cute neighbor. I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's, it's one of those or, or a bunch of those. Who's played by the great uh, Josh Segarra, who I don't know that you actually saw him in this because you weren't watching it anymore but among other things that he's been in he was the main villain in season five of arrow mm-hmm. and i thought that was like the best ladder like the best post season two season of that show mm-hmm. oh good to know yeah again i had to pick up that series again at some point yeah um it's- and yeah, like during this time, there's a lot of like, well, I, I know we didn't talk about it earlier, but there's like a will they, won't they scenario with uh, uh, Tara and Chad, which kind of continues into this scene as well. Um, meanwhile, everyone's hearing uh, Quinn, uh, <laughs> you know, Quinn doing her thing. Or what they assume is doing their thing until they start getting uh, pictures of Quinn being attacked by Ghostface. And Quinn ends up getting th- like her body thrown at the uh, rest of the group through uh, one of the doors, which leads to a chase. Uh, Ghostface starts attacking everybody. Uh, when Sam goes to try to grab a knife, she finds out all the knives been taken from, uh, the, from the block with no means to protect themselves. They start running away. Uh, they start uh, running away. Mindy ends up getting stabbed as well as Annika. And uh, they end up getting, or I think it was Danny, the, the, the cute neighbor guy that ends up uh, saving them by uh, connecting his the window from his apartment to their apartment with the ladder. And as everyone's locked in a room trying to keep Ghostface out, they manage to slowly get uh, everyone across um, across the way. I think Tara and Chad took off running on their own at this point. Um, so they slowly, first uh, Sam manages to get over, then Mindy, and then Annika slowly as she's suffering from like a huge stab wound, like right in her stomach, including the twists and everything. Um, I don't know why they left they let her go last but she uh, barely has the strength to move over Uh, Ghostface comes over menacingly starts shaking the ladder trying to scare her Um, make her fall off until finally he manages to do it she ends up falling from like the 5th or 6th floor cracking her head on the dumpster on the way down killing her instantly and at this point um, Ghostface disappears and yeah, the essentially the group gets shaken after um Annika and Quinn's death. Uh the this time the masks being left from I believe it was uh number two, right? From yeah. uh the Windsor College killings. I think so. Uh so at this point Wayne is taken off the case uh because of Quinn's death. He goes and um Basically becomes responds. vigilante cop dad. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's how you stop a white guy with a gun. It's another yeah. white guy with a it, gun. I will say that 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 you know we kind of just glanced over it, but that that the post Quinn killing, you know, uh, ladder scene. I is it that 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 you know where they they cr- cross from one uh, apartment into the other is another one of those really neat kills action set piece scenes, <laughs> which we are discussing here. No, absolutely, and like that's why I agree with you when you're saying that these movies are like elevating a lot of those kills to like action esque type of scenes. You know, yeah, it's almost like it, it, again, much like Fast and Furious, it feels like in some ways these movies are transcending the genre and becoming something else entirely. Like it's it's doing similar stuff from the previous movies, but again, it's just taking them in a like it, it's taking them up to a scope that they've never been in before Mm -hmm. so uh after surviving the night gail reveals that she's found um that she's found kind of like this shrine like an old abandoned uh warehouse like cinema that serves as a shrine to ghostface that was owned by uh greg and jason or that they had bought through like a dummy corp. Oh, who knows? I have no idea. Point is, they find evidence that had been taken from every ghost face killing case from uh Scream One all the way to Scream Five. Um, and that they had a shrine to every costume where every mask was being used and left behind at these um left behind at the crime scenes as if they're counting down to something. Uh, to which, um, to which Wayne is wondering, you know, what are they counting down to, right? Um, and then we see like different, like we see the knife that was used to stab, uh, Kirby. We see the knife that was used to kill Dewey in the last movie. Um, yeah, we see just like all these kinds of like memorabilia and stuff. Um, from, uh, Ghostface's different kills. Uh, so the group essentially, uh, they agree that they need to, um, yeah, the group agrees that they need to like start getting on the offensive and finding out where Ghostface is. Uh, they're able to trace uh Ghostface's call after Sam is able to kind of goad him out, and they find out that he's actually staying at Gail's high rise apartment. And so our group of heroes go uh, after to try to save Gail. She ends up getting attacked uh, by Ghostface in her apartment after a prolonged talk, um, wherein she gets. Uh, and this is the interesting part: is like this is actually the first time Gail herself has a talk with Ghostface. Uh, I don't think there's any other time in the franchise where she's actually talked to Ghostface directly. And he uses a lot of, um, like, her being, like, this side character, her being, um, her losing her friends and being, like, the only one left. And after losing Dewey, like, you know, it's going to be great for him to finally kill her. Uh, Ghostface ends up killing her boyfriend and goes on a chase around the apartment where uh, Gail manages to get back to her gun. Um trying to trick Ghostface out, ends up shooting at him. However, 
Uh, during the prolonged fight, she ends up getting stabbed with this like long piece of glass. But this before... entire scene had like the death of Dewey Riley vibes all over it, right? Like absolutely, it, it I'm like, like she's got to die here. Yeah, like it, this felt like we were just about to say goodbye to Gale here. Especially the fact that once it hits you that she's never talked to like Ghostface directly. I'm just like, no, it makes sense. She's probably going to die here. But, you know, lo and behold, uh, Tara uh, Tara and Sam uh, make the save. They're able to scare uh, Ghostface away. Um, the paramedics come in and manage to find a pulse, a very weak one. But they're able to save uh, Gale. Um, from there, the group so agrees to work with Curry. Another character that you think is dead, but may not be dead <laughs> uh, who gale almost oh, likely yeah, yeah. it's it's um, it, it's the gale will be the first in a series of telling you hey you know the people we like are now like almost indestructible a la <laughs> the fast and the furious <laughs> <laughs> and the, again until they say on screen that that person is dead i will refuse to believe anyone dies as we see in a little bit in this movie um, but yeah, working with Kirby, they agree that they agree to a plan to trap Ghostface and and um uh agree to plan to trap Ghostface within the uh kind of like the cinema area where they're gonna br- essentially trap him and kill him. You know that Shaq meme where uh the Shaq meme where he says, I, I apologize because I wasn't really familiar with your game. Yeah. But that was me to Radio Silence because as much as I liked Hayden Panettiere in Scream 4, mm-hmm. I wasn't really sure what the character of Kirby Reed would do in a new Scream movie. And mm-hmm. I have to say that this movie, you know, in having her be like basically a source of strength for the kids, like being the kind of new Dewey, like mm-hmm. it, it, like she fills that role for them uh, as someone that can kind of like Again, who's part of the law, who can help them out, who has the experience in all of this. Mm-hmm. But also at the same time, because she does share the scars with all of them. And now, like, she is, you know, joining this kind of like survivor's club with Sydney and Gail, despite not having much spent much time with either one of those characters in the previous movie. Mm-hmm. I have to give Radio Silence all the all the credit for making Kirby into a core character in this franchise, which I did not anticipate. Again, as much as I liked all the actors in Scream 4, I thought a lot of the characters were pretty forgettable in that movie. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they have like just brought Kirby back and turned her into such an interesting and important part of this new, the second wave of the franchise, I think... I have to give them all the credit in the world for that. It's like you managed to create a legacy character out of a series that's dependent on the same three for the last like 20 years. (laughs) So it's like refreshing that one. I mean, you find a new character that you're able to flesh out and make interesting enough. And, and yeah, like you said, have them be like this um, really like focal point of strength for your new franchise. Like, yeah, they did a fantastic job with Kirby just being, like, the millennial FBI agent. Like, like she's quirky, she's different, you know, doesn't wear suits, 
or pant suits. It's just, it's just, she's definitely refreshing and like something new to a franchise, especially as you're saying goodbye to kind of like the older, uh, the old guard, if you will. Um, so from here, this takes us to the core four, uh, along with, um, Ethan, the, the, what's called the, uh, the roommate, right? Uh, going to taking the subway to try to meet up with Kirby at the uh movie theater, and so begins one of the most tense like scenes in the entire film, where the core four end up getting separated, and Agreed. Mindy is with Ethan on another platform, surrounded by rando ghost faces. Yes, it kind crowd. of reminded me of like you know the Joker hiding in that subway car full of Jokers <laughs> from that Joker movie. <laughs> you know, like it felt like it was kind of a nod to something like that. But at the same time, again, it's like it's taking the things that you wouldn't think about. You know, most people who are commuting. Yes, you know what it reminds me of, and this is going to be very obscure, mm-hmm. but I like to listen to those like kind of like Reddit like you know horror story threads where people like submit like stories and it could be true they may not be true but it's like those oh, stories like that are no will sleep submit. and all that yeah. yeah exactly and there was and i just remember like hearing this one series of like stories of people just talking about like new york subway horror stories and that's what i thought about like ever since i've heard like those stories like just some of them, I was like, I don't know if they're true or not, but they're so creepy and disturbing that I can't really look at these subways the same anymore. Especially when you're considering, you know, again, that this is probably the middle of the night and, you know, everybody's on their way to parties and stuff like that. I love that all the characters on this train are like, you know, you have the Babadook, you mm-hmm. have... um it <laughs> yeah you know pennywise the clown you have a you... lot of interesting horror characters there's like a freddy in there there's a it's... mojo jojo <laughs> yeah it's the old it's the old like you know horror you know monsters of the 80s and then also like putting in like some of the newer you know horror icons of the last decade as well it's mm-hmm. just again it's it's scream reminding you that hey we're hip <laughs> hello fellow young people how are you doing <laughs> Hello, fellow youths. <laughs> oh, man. So at this point, um, when the group gets separated, Mindy gets stabbed by Ghostface. And Ethan manages to get her to uh, the platform where she gets, or they end up getting help and she gets uh, taken to the hospital. I appreciate that Mindy is correctly suspicious of him the entire film like mm-hmm. you know what i mean and like the, the running joke in this is that mindy like keeps being wrong or she wants to be the one to be right mm-hmm. and uh the, you know because of that it, the handsome neighbor has to be kept at arm's length there are moments where they will tell him to kind of leave them alone and i never i never once suspected handsome neighbor to be the killer he felt mm-hmm. like the jerry o'connell character from scream 2 mm-hmm. like they want to make you think he's the killer because that's what happened in scream 1 but mm-hmm. it's not going to be him and the one thing that didn't happen is i thought he was going to die <laughs> yeah i honestly expected him to die too um like here uh 
No, here is where, uh, as the group approaches where Kirby is, they get a call from Wayne, panicked, saying that they can't trust Kirby, that Kirby apparently hasn't been a part of the FBI for months, that she was let go for being unstable. This Which fooled then, me because I oh, absolutely. Leg- I legitimately thought that you're like, oh, okay, well, they brought Kirby back to be a villain, which is unfortunate. It got me, too. I 100% took the bait. And so at this point, um, Kirby ends up getting attacked. Well, and that it's revealed that there's uh, two ghost spaces that start mm-hmm. chasing everyone around the cinema. Uh, Chad ends up essentially, he starts throwing hands at both of them, and he's like kicking the sh- both uh, ghost faces (laughs) until eventually they overpower him and conservatively stab him like 14 times in what I should have been and this is what I mean no one is dead until they say they're dead (laughs) because at this point Chad gets stabbed to shit and then they drop him the two ghost faces do the double knife clean and uh chase the girls back into the cinema right mm-hmm. and then at this point um kirby and wayne uh both you know kirby's all messed up wayne comes out with his gun he ends up shooting kirby and reveals himself to be the third ghost face um and at this point, he starts going to the monologue, talking about how he's been orchestrating these killings with his children, who are uh, revealed to be Ethan and Quinn, who actually never died. And we find out that they are Richie's family members. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they revealed that their plan was to kill Sam and frame her as Ghostface. Um and that they were going to use her body essentially to make this final shrine for Richie. Um, you know, Wayne six the kids on uh on Tara and Sam. I love this part where like Sam grabs a brick and like Tara starts crying, and then um you know, like she, like Sam looks over at Tara and like just doesn't really say anything, but gives her the brick too, and essentially is like, if we're gonna die, we're going down swinging. And like Tara, like composes herself immediately, and she like grabs the brick and just like, you know, gets in a fight stance too. And I'm just like, oh shit, let's fucking go! Mm-hmm. <laughs> the entire time I was just like, this is fucking. I was ready. I was like, let's go. Ghost killer fight. Let's do this shit. Um, so this leads to uh yeah, a very brutal and violent fight that um where they manage to fight off the family. Um and Tara ends up like when as they uh, if I remember correctly, they're like trying to escape uh of these ladders or um and Tara almost like falls. And as Ethan tries to like stab at her, um, she tells Sam to just let her drop and you know, kind of let her go. And in being that final iconic moment of being love like figuratively and also literally letting her go, um, she lets Tara fall after she gives her Billy Loomis's knife. And like Tara comes falling on top of Ethan, who manages to stab her. 
but she's she herself uses Billy Loomis's knife and like stabs him in the mouth, like inside, <laughs> cutting his throat and like leaving him to choke on his own blood. Oh, it was so gnarly! Like she yeah. just like started stabbing him in the mouth. It was so. <laughs> you know what this made me think of, uh, and you're. I'm sorry, I'm gonna go obscure with this here. Okay, but again, this feels like a triumphant hero scene and where it's take it's now taking you know ghostface which used to be the villainous character and this isn't the first time they do that they do this with with sydney in part one where she's the one who calls billy and stew like once they've revealed themselves and she like uses the ghostface voice to tell them guess who's gonna die and stabs them with the umbrella while wearing the costume so this isn't the first time that they've done this but it feels like Basically, they are um, turning this into the she's putting on the superhero costume, mm-hmm. and you know it, it. It there's something very Man of Steel about this <laughs> for me. <laughs> but I can see that it's like the, it's it's them taking power back. It's them no longer yeah. being afraid of these people, and it's them being able to finally fight back. You know, in some ways, kind of maybe even twenty twenty one Candyman, right? Like mm-hmm. a movie that is referenced by by characters in this movie as well as like <laughs> as people who thought, uh, you know, those. I, I think it's isn't it Kirby and Mindy who talk about how they both equally they thought it was equally as good as the original, <laughs> mm-hmm. which I think you and I are both of the same opinion. <laughs> Damn straight. But uh, yeah, much like that movie, in the end, you know, at the very end, Candyman is almost used to to gets the big hero moment. Mm-hmm. That's what happens with Ghostface here. You know, Sam as Ghostface gets the big hero moment where she like you know kills the shit out of the actual killer. And I yeah. will say, for as interesting as this was, it was kind of a meh reveal. It felt like you know, on the <clears throat> less interesting spectrum of killers. But I'll be honest, Scream, Scream, uh, the franchise, I think once they reveal who the killer is, it's always kind of underwhelming, isn't it? Like, I feel yeah. like the only movies where it was really that interesting is the original uh, Scream 4. It's interesting only because they, you know, took who the person who you thought was going to be the new star of the series and made them the killer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like that's the only thing, and then last the Scream Five, I was underwhelmed, and then this one was a little underwhelming as well. With the movie, I actually thought about again, as I mentioned earlier, it, it, during the reveal, I thought of Sick, the movie that we reviewed like a month ago, uh, mm-hmm. where like you know the killer, you're wondering who the killer is in that movie, only to find out that the killer is like the deranged parents of someone who died due to the act of you know the protagonist of the story whereas yeah, some in this movie character you have no idea who could possibly yeah. be <laughs> whereas in this movie it wasn't that sam gave him covid it was that she literally just stabbed the shit out of him and it's just the same outcome right and i think because i'm watching these movies so close together it it, it felt not fresh you know in Mm -hmm. this movie so but you know i again i i I go with it because i feel like this movie has done so much right already and has taken this franchise into such a different direction and has managed to keep it fresh is the reason why i don't ding it too much for the ending Mm -hmm. yeah so after uh sam manages to kill uh quinn 
she dons her yeah she dons her father's uh costume and ends up killing uh Wayne as Richie's movie plays and uh after yeah after uh killing Wayne um we get the of course because you have to have it you got to re- reveal that one of the ghostface killers didn't die and as Ethan you know jumps up and tries to kill one of the girls uh Kirby ends up murdering him by throwing the TV that killed Stu Mocker on top of him kind of giving like a little poetic ending uh so um so yeah he ends up getting his head crushed um Sam ends up agreeing to let Tara live her life more independently. Uh, Tara agrees to start going to therapy. And we get, you know, we get shown that Mindy is still alive, who's sad that uh, she, again, she didn't call it or she didn't have the chance to call it. Uh, kind of what you were saying earlier. Uh, we're reveal- It's also revealed that Chad is still alive somehow after getting stabbed all to shit. Um, Tara runs over to him and kisses him. Um, cutting off his oxygen, almost killing him at one point. <laughs> so she ends up putting his oxygen mask and uh he ends up getting taken into the hospital. Um along with Kirby. And as Sam stares at her father's mask, um, she kind of becomes entrenched with it for a little bit until Tara gets her attention. And uh, the movie ends with Sam dropping the ghost face mask in the middle of the street and walking towards uh, the city with her sister. And roll credits. That was screen six. Yeah. I think that the best scene in this movie is still that end. What you call the superhero scene. <laughs> it's good. It's good. That's that's my personal favorite scene in this movie where Tara just like where you see the change the change in Tara from going to like Scream Queen to Final Girl, where she's just like, Oh my god, we're gonna die. And then Sam gives her the brick and she grabs the brick, gets in like a fighting stance, all right, all right, fuckers, let's go. I love that part. I love the you know, it's the it's the energy that Jenna Ortega is able to put out. It's the it's the um yeah, it's just the the chemistry those two leading girls have too. Like I, I just think, yeah, I think they did fantastic. But Angel, it's important to know. People want to know. Did you like Scream Six? Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious that I did like Scream Six. Again, this franchise is one of the rare horror franchises that we are now at part six, and I feel like almost every entry in this franchise has been really good. I cannot wait. Maybe we should talk Scream 2 one day on this podcast because I'm very curious to have a full conversation with you as to why you think that movie is not good because I think it is very good. <laughs> I think it's I still think it's the best sequel out of all the sequels. And if you ask me to re-rank, you know, the movies in this franchise, I would probably I would put the original Scream as the first, obviously. Second one is still Scream 2. And I think the third best movie in this franchise is Scream 6, the movie mm-hmm. we're talking about today. So, yes, I did like Scream 6. I recommend that you watch it if you have not already watched it. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to what they're going to do with Scream 7. And I think that now, because obviously Jenna Ortega has 
basically become a megastar at this point. Um, I think that whatever money you were planning to give to Sydney, you know, to Nev Campbell to return and, and reprise the role of Sydney, maybe you spend that money wisely on the existing cast and decide to just wrap up the story of these characters. Because if there's one thing that this movie did successfully, it was make the core four the characters I want to follow into the next film. Oh, absolutely. You almost kind of want more movies with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you want it maybe as many as you have with the original three because they just have really good, like the four of them just have really good chemistry together, you know? Like you get a genuine that they care about each other and that they, you know, it's, it's, it's a, that they're heroes, but they're also like really messed up heroes. Yeah. Like a lot of the times, at least with the original three, you don't see their flaws until like the later movies, like especially Dewey, right? To kind of see him go from like bodyguard in three to sheriff in four to kind of like after him and uh, after his relationship with Gail kind of like falls apart. Mm-hmm. And then you just kind of see him as like just this guy where all those injuries finally caught up to him and he's like an older guy in five. You're just like, damn. Like, you know, it's good. You see these characters grow and whatnot. But yeah, I definitely would love to see a little bit more of these characters and grow with them as well. Uh, But yeah, I think I agree with you. I love this movie. Love, you know, I think it's fantastic. It's one of my favorite franchises. I think it was a, it's a new, it's uh definitely a new breath of fresh air in this installment where it introduces new tropes. Like you said, I, that that's something I hadn't thought about is just like the realistic fear nowadays of a man with a gun out in public mm-hmm. and, you know, playing on these other fears that are now kind of playing our society. Like this is definitely a movie of its time and it's reflective, um, but it also is also it's very indicative of kind of like where horror is gone, where now there's more faces of color and there's more strong characters and characters that are make smart decisions um and it's just and it's just fun to see it's it's it plays on this primal need of watching your heroes survive um and your villains kind of eat shit you know mm-hmm. but yeah i think it was a great series or i think it was a great uh installment series all right so uh yeah we'd like to thank you guys for joining us for this episode of the show um you know, sorry, we it took us a while to record this. It's mostly on me. Uh, well, unfortunately, last week around the time that we normally would have recorded an episode, um, you know, that w- there's been such a series of storms that has been hitting the Bay Area that like I literally went several days without power. <laughs> so the last thing I was interested in doing was getting on and talking movie podcasts when I had to make arrangements for you know, my life. <laughs> so I appreciate no, you guys hanging in there until this new episode comes out. And uh, yeah, and I just really glad that you guys continue to follow us. And I really appreciate, man, you know, that uh, we are getting good response on the episodes that we've been releasing. It's I'm very excited to continue this 2023 year of movies because it's just been i can't say it enough like this this year has really just rekindled my love for doing this mm-hmm. for podcasting <laughs> it, in for such movies, a way for everything yeah 
So, um, yeah, please continue to interact with us on social media. Uh, leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts. Leave us ratings on Apple Podcasts. Leave us ratings on Spotify if you can. Leave uh, us suggestions on social medias or reviews. Yes. Interact with us. Send our, you know, forward our page to people you know. Uh, you know, forward episodes of the show to people you know to help us grow our audience. And uh, yeah, we were just really glad to have you guys uh, join us for this episode. And honestly, very... grab people's phones, grab strangers' phones, go on to Spotify, and like just follow our page for them. Like, please just... don't actually do that. But... Please do that. Yeah, I endorse <laughs> this message. <laughs> uh, but thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Later, y'all.